thanks for joining me on the fourth series of my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. As usual, we'll be covering all things that shape employee experience that ultimately impact on engagement, performance and loyalty. Whether that's about leadership style, psychological safety, mental well-being, companies' impact on society, neurodiversity and so much more, there is something for everyone. I'm your host, Lisa. As a psychologist and psychotherapist in my business, It's Time for Change, I get to make a real difference in the world of people. Working with companies who want to be great, with inspiring leadership, an awesome culture and a wow workforce, that's my thing. And that's what this podcast is all about. You know those challenges and questions that can occupy your headspace, perhaps working out how to support people or how to develop a better way of working or how to increase capacity while keeping people on your side? Well, I'm your soundboard, problem and picker, and guide to doing things that ultimately increase employee happiness. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. So let's dive in. Okay, so well, here we are ready to kick off a new series in 2023. It's a little later than planned due to the minor interruption of my new year involving my doomed ankle and surgery, Uh, but good things come to those who wait. Um, I'm really pleased to be talking with the fabulous David Saab today, who is one of the nicest chaps on the planet, um, who has a fan club for, um, well, of people who admire you um, and who just admire what you stand for. Um, David is a mental wellbeing champion and business alliance manager for the Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce. And I've got to know him over the years through um, the steering group that we're both part of at the Chamber. So welcome to the show, David. What an introduction. Wow. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, I was really keen for you to be my guest today because this podcast is all about uh, people sharing real experience and insight learning and opinions on all things employee experience and you're someone who has a unique role in that you have a window um, into many different organizations across the whole Thames Valley so it's interesting though when I was thinking about you you're also an incredibly humble guy who and you don't give yourself enough credit for the the wisdom that you have but your perspective at the at the chamber provides um, one that many others don't get to see so it's really beneficial I think to hear about you or hear you from you your observations um and how you make sense of what's going on and what you think businesses would do well to focus on and kind of consider going through the year ahead so before we get into all that tell the listeners a little bit more about um your role um and the and what the Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce is all about again such such nice words I'm sure they're not true but I will take them anyway uh especially this January where it's uh, often quite dark and it's nice to feel good about yourself okay so um, I've got a couple of really cool roles in the chamber Um, as you said mental well-being champion and I'm also the business alliance manager so let me let me just paint for your for your listeners what the chamber does and then I'll just say briefly what I do in the chamber so we're we're a, a not-for-profit NGO um, Chamber of Commerce. We're one of 53 chambers. We're the second largest uh, for inward investment out of the 53 chambers across the country. And we're the third largest chamber. So we carry some weight. We're the Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce. So we we kind of cover a patch that 
that goes from Swindon through to West London, uh, up to Banbury, and kind of down down to the M3. You know, really prosperous area near Heathrow. Uh, you know, a lot of head offices locate in the area, and our role is to support business. So we, you know, help them with their strategic priorities, and we listen to to what they want for the region so we'll often be talking about skills and sustainability and about resilient infrastructure um, about making employers the center of the skills process that kind of stuff so i'm my my role in the chamber is in the membership team and i look after the business alliance tier which is the often multinational organizations the larger organizations like Moderna, BMW, um, University of Reading, uh, Syngenta, kind of big, big organisations who are looking to contribute to the region and they also want to kind of showcase the, the best in class, the best of what they do. Um, and so my role is to help um, kind of cross-sectoral stakeholder engagement and bring people together, introductions and we have a wonderful business alliance program, which I can go into another time. So that's that's my uh, professional role. And I also wear the hat of mental wellbeing champion. Now, what that is really is three, four years ago, our CEO recognizing that, hey, we're not really doing anything with uh, mental wellbeing, mental health. Hey, Dave, you've got a passion for this. Um, could you could you help us do something? So we wrote a mental wellbeing charter and Lisa, you and I part of the steering group. We started to hold webinars and started to help organizations kind of see the wood for the trees. You know, what, what can we do to support our people? Because this mental health topic is, it is something, you know? Um, and so I kind of run the outward facing program for the mental well-being stuff that we do mm. with organizations there brilliant and I, I and i love the fact that you've um you've got your foot in different camps and because you can then help also the i guess the different areas of the business that you're focusing on actually be able to join up a little bit more and i mean mm. you know me by now in terms of joining the dots and i think it's it's great when you get people wearing the kind of hat that you have in the mental health with the mental health work so that you can kind of weave messages in when you're having um when you're focusing on other aspects of business and I guess you get to do that quite a lot yes and it's interesting that when you start um bringing into a conversation the topic of mental health um people's guard kind of either goes up or down but normally normally down and it and it facilitates some really good conversations um, where you thought you were kind of going along this track or actually, you know, people people know someone who's going through a struggle or or, or they've gone through it themselves. And it, it it helps warm the relationship and it and it does, you know, connect the different um, people within an organisation who have an emphasis on, on, on mental health or would like to. So, yeah, it does. I think it's also interesting. I think you probably have um, quite an influential role in being able to do that because you, they, you're respected and they know you through the business side and what a lot of businesses think of as business in terms of the 
proper business. So they've got that, they've established that relationship with you. And then you can, you then can then start talking about mental health. And then it's like, well, actually, this has come from this guy I really respect. And he, I know he's a really proper serious businessman. He's talking about this stuff. So I've got to take it seriously. Well, yeah, it, I'll be honest, it works both ways. Sometimes people are like, uh, oh, here's, here's Dave on phone. And they don't really want to talk to me because it's, you know, I haven't, perhaps I haven't deepened a relationship with them and I'm not really a value to them yet. You know, the, mm. the journey of relationship, right? Mm. And then, and then we'll be talking about mental health and then they'll kind of go, oh, this guy is actually real. Okay, I can have a proper conversation with him. Oh, you know, he's not afraid to, to kind of be human and it, mm. and, it, and it warms the relationship. So it, it can work both ways. I yeah. mean, you know what it's like, Lisa. Some people, um, it clicks straight away. Some people, it's a journey, isn't it? Into yeah. a relationship. And, and, and some people, you, don't, you, you never quite kind of get there, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I don't know about you, but my inbox at the moment is quite full of all these uh, opportunities to attend webinars all about business planning yeah. and um, for the year ahead, which kind of makes sense being January. I wonder how many of those activities um, include a real review of last year in terms of um, what people think. And what I'm interested to know from your perspective is whether you see many businesses going through a kind of level of rigour where they're really questioning their practice from last year in terms of what people thought went well, what could have been better, what didn't go so well, using the kind of questions that um, come up in processes such as um, after action reviews, which is, you know, the really obvious stuff about what do you set out to achieve, what actually happened, why was there a difference, what worked well and why, what didn't work well and why, how can we improve, that kind of thing, which involves really good conversations and feedback from employees. Do you see many businesses going through that part or are they tending just to skip that and get onto what they consider as for, you know, business planning, which is more traditional? Uh, most, it seems to me that, that, that most leaders um, try and avoid the difficult questions. Mm. Um, I think that, I mean, you know, this is this is kind of going off on tangent, but you know, I think I think you know, leaders have done a great job of signposting. I think um, you know, there's been a lot of stuff thrown at the employee in order to improve their well-being, and it's there's an awful lot of messaging saying we care, we care, um, and it's okay to struggle with mental health hey this is this is where you go but i still find that um a lot of middle managers and a lot of leaders still don't want to go into that space of asking the difficult question of uh, and so i don't know whether whether you find this but when you have employees who are not happy and perhaps they don't quite trust the processes and the messages that's coming down you know how do you how do you change that and i think the most obvious way to change that and and the most obvious resistance that i find is managers and leaders who don't want to ask that question you know how 
are you really feeling about things what what is really working what is not working mm. I, I think I think le a lot of leaders a lot of organizations just throw stuff and and just hope that it will change and they don't have to go to that difficult place I agree and I think it's interesting isn't it because when people hear that you know hear that idea that I should be asking people how they're really doing again you'll have people falling into different camps about well is that about their personal life and I feel a bit on edge about am I okay to ask should I be asking what if they say this what how do I respond and then that that you know surely that's not my business and then you've got the other side where people are actually I just think a bit vulnerable feel a bit afraid of asking the questions because I don't know what's going to come back and I guess if yeah. you ask the questions there's the expectation that actually I need to act on it and maybe I don't have the capacity to act or maybe I don't really know how to act or yeah. it kind of opens up this potential can of worms and I think people are veering away from that I think I think it you know it's a, it it's not easy for leaders because and you know, I don't want to make it too too simplistic, but you know, you've got leaders and middle managers who are not comfortable going into that space of intimacy, of 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 actual one-on-one -on -one personal space where where the trust develops and where the where you can ask difficult questions and you can go kind of behind behind the scenes with the person. You know, if you have a manager who has those soft skills that empathy and that ability to really draw out their people, develop trust and actually deliver mm. on what trust should deliver. Fantastic. I mean, you are, you know, keep hold of that person. They're wonderful. They will always do great with your people. Right. Mm. Um, but the reality is you've also got a string of managers who are incredibly good at their job, incredibly focused, task orientated, who, who, I mean, you need them in the business to get the job done, but they're not comfortable in that space. So what do you do if you've got that environment? Because that, my experience is that can also be a positive experience. You don't have to change that person and, and kind of take them through 18 months of therapy and turn them into a, <laughs> into a, into a woman. You know I mean, I don't mean to be sexist, but you know what I mean? Like, however, there are things that, um, there is training and there is leadership which will understand those managers and will in one-to-ones with the managers help them see the, the little things that they can do that can bring them just a little bit closer and it may be for that manager with their team going out for a night out is what well-being looks like mm. is what group cohesion looks like mm. to have some fun to laugh and joke and it's not um overtly stated that mm. caring but it's shown through action of the group another mm. manager it'll be you know one-on-one -on -one, an hour and a half later sharing you know real experience personal experiences with each other and then coming out of the room feeling like we're we're on the same team mm. there are different people and there are different ways of doing it but but and this is this is the but it still comes down to the senior leader are they asking the questions of their team? You know, how well do you know your people? Because you can still know your people, even if you're not having intimate time with them, you can still know them. I, I've had, you know, leaders who 
I've never been really buddy buddy lots of talk with them but I know they care about me they mm -hmm. want me to be successful and the little things that they do endear me to them and make me think man he's really got my back this person wants me to be to, and when I've had a hard time I can tell they've given me the space they haven't said a thing but they've given me that space so whether you talk it out intimate do all the talk stuff or whether you do it from a distance because of your style um you know good management good people management is still about the relationship the quality of the relationship and the trust that comes out of that and you can do that with whatever style leader you have whether they're task driven or or whether they're really empathic mm. but the only you know you have to ask the question from the top in order to tease out and train and and and, and help mm. steer that if you're not asking it from the top you're unlikely unless you've got an empathic genius in your in your group to really see it come out in your teams. Mm. But hey, the, the the question still has to be asked, and 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 that comes top down. So, and I liked your example, Dave, of when um, you knew someone had your back because they created space for you. So they didn't say anything, but you just knew that there was space for you to deal with what was going on for you at that time. Are there other examples? Because I think this is this is a real um, a sticking point for so many people about, I don't feel like I'm a really good people person, but I want to show people that I care and I don't know how to do it. So creating space is one way of doing it. And it's kind of connecting in terms of the sort of social stuff or doing what you can at a lighter level rather than having those kind of um, intimate one-to-ones. Are there other ways then that you've experienced or you know that previous bosses managers have cared for you and have had your back without when they haven't been the people who are the ones who sit down and have those conversations with you how else what else have they done uh i mean my 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 experience tend tends to boil down to a to a one-on-one -on -one experience with mm. with someone yeah and normally it's about listening mm. right it it's a simple thing but um like I had um, had some friends over the other night, and they were they were talking to my son, who spent some time in Russia, and this was a young person over. He was about nineteen, twenty years old, and he kept asking my son loads of questions all about his time in Russia. Right? He was curious, really curious, and he just kept asking questions, and I, I was thinking. I, I was kind of watching it thinking, now is he doing that to manipulate the relationship or is he doing it because he's genuinely, genuinely curious, right? And he had a smile on his face. He was genuinely curious. And I think if, if you are leading teams or you're in teams, it, it, it's a simple thing, but it's about listening and it's about being genuinely curious, you know, um, I find that's the most adorable skill. And it it actually kind of, they can get anything out of me. You know, <laughs> if they really want to listen to me, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic skill and not everybody, you know, we come to a relationship with, okay, this is what I want to cover mm. in this meeting, or this is what I would like to achieve. And some people do a little bit of listening and then they launch, right? They, they're, they're kind of thinking about what they're going to come back with. I love it when people really listen to me and I love to see 
when a manager really listens to someone, mm. you know, whether they're low down, high up, whatever, you know, in, in the organization. And you can tell because they ask more questions. Okay, you said that, but what did you, and, and then it comes out, that's just fantastic. And, you, and maybe that's something then that people should be putting on their agendas this year, on their meeting agendas, listen. Like imagine going to a meeting and not having a packed agenda that's going to take you right up to the final second of the time allocated, but you have some points you've got to cover, but actually a chunk of it is just around listening. Yeah, and, you know, another thing I would, I would say is courageous vulnerability. Mm. Um, like we all have positions we've all got life going on as well is is you know going into a situation or it, being in a relationship where you're not afraid to say i don't know or you know i haven't got a clue about this you know what do you think um yeah. or, or even more personally when things are tough or and i think the conversation around mental health you know removing the stigma and all that has started to give people and you know the whole working from home and wearing shorts like I am today kind of we've we are I suppose we do have a reason to be more vulnerable and I would say I love leaders who can who can just say man this is crap at the moment or this is this isn't going well we got to change this or I'm finding this really difficult does anybody have have ideas I love the feeling that we can that we can mm. come together and but you have to have vulnerability to, to be able to come together and again that's not in everybody's leadership style and I think it's I think it's something that actually as soon as someone recognizes that that's something they'd like to do there are ways that they can achieve that it made me think of um when I did some work with Rob Smedley's company last year and he um you know I, I didn't know very much about Rob Smedley at all because I have no interest I knew nothing about Formula One and but he's someone who's very you know he's come from a background where everything is seemingly perfect he's got a lot of money a lot of people working on stuff and it's all seamless systems and processes and and everything and then he's running his own company and um doing stuff and he's like actually things could be better and a lot of people will acknowledge things could be better but we haven't we this my company now is not working the same way as formula one used to or, you know how it how my previous experience so what do we do? And from going from someone who has his status to someone who's sitting in a room when we went through an after action review, takes the pressure off him having, you know, he's part of, he's an employee in that process. And he's there also asking the, answering those questions about what we're setting out to achieve and actually what got in the way of us fulfilling what, you know, our outcomes that we wanted, we, we're hoping to achieve and what could we, fine-tuned to make sure it's even better this next time and he's part of that conversation as well that way of showing your vulnerability in terms of hearing people in the room their feedback taking it on board mm. setting up working groups afterwards to go yeah actually that's brilliant observation I didn't even know that was going on and that's something we could sort out really quickly the mm. number of things that came out of that process of well we can change these things by the end of today mm. we didn't even know they were going on they're really simple things to solve those things we can solve by the end of the week these things are longer stuff but let's get our working groups together and get everyone working on them who've got an interest in that and suddenly you've got everyone motivated wow, because fantastic. you've had everyone at every level of that you know from the, the top down sitting having a conversation where everyone's equal there's no hierarchy fantastic fantastic That's, yeah I mean 
that's a dream right yeah but it's but it, but it's it's such a simple process and the, and you just think why why are more companies not asking those sorts of questions or just recognizing that um you know the and another company i remember working in where the ceo was not a people person he mm. did not feel comfortable at all having the conversations and would have struggled to even to listen because he just felt too uncomfortable so that would have been his what he's focusing on the the, the, com- the discomfort but he knew that and so he got someone else in a role who did that for him yeah. and it's very clear that I'm really happy sitting in a room on my own with my laptop and I don't want to see people but I know that's not great for my business so I'm going to get someone in who's going to go and do all that stuff for me yeah yeah well what what I love about that is you know I mean some people say well it's not going to happen unless you've got the person right at the top, you know, really down there with with the masses doing doing all the talking. No, because it it can happen. That person can appoint someone because what comes through from that person who they've appointed as the feedback loop continues is people see, oh, the, the guy above must have supported it because now, now look what we're doing, right? And that knowing and that acceptance um that's absolutely fine yeah. you know that's absolutely fine so we both know that people have got to be able to thrive or feel that they're thriving at work in order to be able to perform their best and there are a whole host of reasons why people are not thriving right now um yeah. some of those kind of factors that are getting in the way might be to do with um stuff going on outside of work um and particularly like current economic climate and so on and then there'll be a whole host of things within work what um are some of the issues that you've seen companies struggling with um that we need to be really mindful of moving forward as if we're looking to enable people to be able to thrive more in the workplace yeah good question um and i suppose it's um i mean i what i see (laughs) I mean, I, I'm I'm a little bit biased here, but I see just so much pebble dashing at the moment, right? And it's almost like after two years of trying to throw things at the problem of uh, people aren't happy, what are we going to do about it? And it seems to me that a lot of the senior managers and I'm sure people themselves are looking at it thinking, well, this isn't working. So, you know, whether you've got your team of MHFAs, mental health first aiders, who are, you know, okay, we all know that mental illness is prevalent and we can all support each other, or whether you've got um, an EAP, a bolt-on EAP, um, employee assistance program which is supposedly looking after people I just see I, what I'm trying to say is um, I'm still seeing presenteeism and absenteeism figures sky high right so what that says to me and and the and the conversations that I'm having with HR managers is well we've tried this we've tried to um, raise you know reduce the stigma have the conversation but it's not making a massive difference to employee happiness okay Mm -hmm. so i think 
Now, as I say that, I also come from a background of employee happiness. What are we talking about? How do we get into this trap? You know, this whole thing about, <laughs> you know, like, no, you got to get the job done and work, you know, and work really hard. And then, you know, if you're successful, then you go, oh, yes, this worked. You know, employee happiness, that was not on my agenda for the first however many years of my employment life. No, work is meant to be hard and, and tough and pushing through. So, you know, I guess what I'm what I'm saying is, yes, I think that there are, and I, I was reading an article yesterday, a lot of people on a Sunday night dreading going to work, right? Now, I personally think that um, the problem is not so much the... Um, stress of employment i think it's more the reaction to the culture within their workplace and i know this is broad stroking but if you have a good culture in your workplace even if your job's hard and you're just crammed which is how it is sometimes you know what you you've got people around you who you like being around and you're not dreading it on that sunday night um Conversely, you know, you could have an easy few days ahead, but, you know, on that Sunday night, be dreading going to work simply because there isn't the trust, there's the backstabbing, there's the faking it, there's the messaging, which is not genuine, there's the, you know, talking about stuff, but not really meaning it. And, you know, that, that's the biggest problem. That is the biggest problem. And, you know, I'm sure in in your position work working with organizations you get right down and dirty in into mm. the details of all this but um yeah so i think papering over the cracks is is still the biggest problem and a lot of eye rolling um a lot of relying on you know a bunch of mhfas their eap a good hr manager who will deal with all the problems when when in reality there's something about the culture that Mm. Yes, using that culture, and um, I was interested in what you said about the happiness bit because I think there's that from here, from listening to what you're saying, it sounds like actually you can have periods where you're at work where you're potentially you don't feel you wouldn't describe yourself as feeling happy because you're really, you know, you're feeling under massive pressure because of a particular job you've got to do, or, you know, you're, you're whatever's on your desk that particular day, but if you're in the culture that you know you're supported and people you know looking out for you and so on that it still feels okay it still feels manageable you can still feel uh you know you still have that sense of resilience that I know I can get through this and actually it's going to be okay and I will ride this and then I'll get out the other side and it'll all be okay and I can relax again and I can be happy again yeah. so is that because I was interested when you were saying about um the there's kind of almost your you want people to be happy but then you're also aware that perhaps people perhaps that's something we just shouldn't be aspiring to or how, where do you sit on that yeah well I mean I, I've had the luxury in my in my early years to to have done loads and loads of different jobs right working in different industries different sectors and um you know I the people that I mix with now in the chamber of commerce and in and and in the work that we do a kind of uh, you know it's kind of classist because it is kind of mid, middle class right middle mm -hmm. i mean it, 
it may not be middle class, but you know where yeah, I'm know. where I'm coming from. It's kind of first world problems, right? Um, but we know that, that there are, you know, many organisations. You know, whether you're a delivery driver or you're working in a warehouse. I used to, I used to work in a warehouse when I was when I was much younger. You know, uh, big trucks coming in, unloading, palletizing, wrapping up, doing you know hard graft graft work. You know, if if you're talking about mental well being and 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 kind of happiness, it's kind of like what? How much am I getting an hour? Right? It's get the job done, and my boss is happy if we meet our quota. What made the difference was um, the shift manager, uh, a Chinese guy who who was a, just a really good guy, just a really good guy who who you know he'd have a joke with us. Um, he wouldn't mind if we would kind of be a little bit flexible with our lunch breaks and the timing and he had the right balance the right people balance to get stuck in with us you could tell he did he wasn't like a you know dictatorial um line manager he he got stuck in we knew what he needed to achieve he knew what we want wanted to be able to get done during the day and have fun and he allowed that that's a great manager but would you describe it as you know the kind of stuff that we talk about in our mental well-being webinars no you wouldn't mm. but so i think that um we have to remember that you know looking at the world of work there are all different types of organizations and the organizations are there to make money and there are different you know so when when we look at happiness i think what we're really looking at is on a more personal level of do the people around me have my back like you said mm. you know, do i have trust in those that i work with and my and my manager you know are the conditions you know health and safety approved good enough um and will will they allow me to to, to work you know that's that's also a positive work environment for some people and it and it doesn't get into the kind of higher echelons of mental well-being stuff yeah and i and i like that because i think you're describing really clearly the you know that the the um manager who you had in the warehouse who was getting stuck in you know that's kind of flattening out some of the hierarchy stuff you're having a bit of a joke so that's that connection and it's about yeah. that um environment meeting your kind of emotional needs which is actually i just need to have that sense of belonging yeah. and have that sense of actually I'm achieving stuff but I'm having a bit of fun on the way I'm you know and and it's and I think that's why I end up talking more now I certainly have over the last year talk about employee experience and what is our data experience because mm -hmm. our experience is good yeah. in terms of just how I feel about stuff when I'm engaging with work then actually I'm I'm going to have I'm, I'm personally going to experience better mental well-being um yeah, yeah. I'm going to perform better you know I'm going to be much more loyal to my company I'm going to be much more supportive colleague I'm going to be more open-minded to whatever's going on in in work and I think it's you know some people kind of still cringe slightly at the um whole idea of just focusing on mental health and well-being and I just think well actually if you don't focus on that and you just focus on people's day-to-day -day experience mm -hmm. then actually their mental health and well-being will benefit 
as a result of that so you can you can pitch it where you want but as long as it comes back to what you're saying I love your term pebble dashing (laughs) and I could not agree more than that if people just throw stuff at the hope that's going to solve the problem and no one's actually I, I just want companies to sort of scrape away everything that they have been throwing at the organization over the last well year or right. however long and just say right what is really important here what is it we're trying to achieve and what's the best way of going about that and then almost starting from the you know from one central point that connects everything across the organization which comes back to that culture bit you were talking about and what you know what i find interesting um really really interesting is I think we're approaching a time now where where well-being is actually um, it's been overused, and I think I think now it's actually the wrong term for what it really meant. I mean, I I even find myself in conversations separating um, necessarily anyway, you know, mental health from well-being okay mm. and there are there are a huge amount of of well-being gurus right mm. now when when you look at my example of working in the warehouse i, I was actually at, at i can say this because they're no longer atari this was in slough and they had a, a warehouse and they had um an office so the office staff were kind of doing their thing contracts and you know selling and all that and then there's the warehouse, packing and shipping stuff. So if, if you take that, you know, that that organization, well-being strategy for that organization. I like what you say about you know, looking at your your work day, what it's like to be in work, what what that experience of work is for you. So typically nowadays, what you would do, what would happen is they would have a team of mental health first aiders who would be you know doing doing their bit maybe they've got a bolt on eap the mhfas probably wouldn't engage with us in the warehouse we'd have a sign on the wall right if you want to talk to anyone fair enough and and this is really broad stroking and 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 it's really rude of me but i'm going to do it anyway because i do feel strongly about it so what then happens is the people who become the MHFAs, a lot of them can be people who want to talk about their problems anyway and have found that talking about their problems helps and they want to do the same thing. So that kind of care in nature, they want to be able to have an outlet for themselves and they want to involve other people. And so they form this team of MHFAs and they do their signposting and their and their um, lunchtime zoom meetings with their colleagues and great we're raising awareness but then you've got people who are really struggling and the people who are really struggling who are on the edge they're in crisis they've had a a breakdown a bereavement or they're you know a, a depressive episode let's say they're suffering from anxiety they're struggling to hold on they're faking it at the moment right they're turning up but they're not the type of people who feel comfortable talking about it in public. They don't want to talk to one of the mental health first aiders. So they're hiding. 
they're turning to alcohol in the evenings and they are they are edgy they're afraid of losing their job but there's no one to talk to because they're not comfortable doing doing this mhfa thing and they're on the edge now they're the people that i really really know it's in you know really would like what we do in the in the Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce and when our mental well-being community that's the people who I want to be able to really reach mm. because I think we're we're setting ourselves short when we when we think that we're really addressing the problems uh that that people are facing and the anxiety and the depression levels and addiction I think that is just it's it's a monster people are really struggling and what I don't like is this feeling that that I sometimes get when I'm talking with organizations that everything's a tick box exercise when you know that they're just papering over the cracks and they're not really reaching the people who really need the help sure we're raising awareness and this and yeah people can probably find somewhere to go at the click of a button um to be able to get the help but the people who really need the help, a lot of them can't reach out. Mm. They just can't. They are frozen. And, you know, I'm also really interested how we reach those people because that's that's a huge part of the problem, I think. And do you have thoughts about how you reach those people? Um, I think that, um, you know, aware, really self-aware managers, right? self-aware managers know those people mm. right you know the people in your organization who are turning up faking it and who are finding it difficult right you just know if you have that that people skill and then my personal path of preference would be to make it really easy to to sit down with someone you know the one-on-one therapy the psychotherapy I've, i'm a great believer in that i mean i I personally would love love to see, you know, every organisation over a certain number, two hundred people have a have a psychotherapist um, role in that organisation, where everybody, you know, once a month or once a week, depending on mm. what works, sits down with 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 the therapist, and it's just just part of what we what we do. I think that would be fantastic. I, I really do. But I know I'm kind of pipe dreaming and that sounds a bit American and a bit, but um, I think having aware, aware management, if you don't have an aware management, uh, aware leadership team, you're stuffed really because you're relying on that, on that uh, colleague who is an MHFA to kind of go, look, I know this person's struggling. They're not talking, talking to me, but you know, something's going on there. And yes, support can be brought in if you've got a good mm. relationship with your HR manager and things but it really is hit and miss and it's um yeah you know it it's it's reactionary it isn't really um yeah yeah and it and that all does come back to what you were talking about earlier in terms of relationships doesn't it if you're as a as a manager if you know your team well enough you know, managers should not manage massive teams where they just don't, they can't have the relationships, they can't know people. Yeah, so if yeah. a manager, who, you know, people who feed into that person, that manager knows them well enough to know what is 
you know, what's going on in their world? You know, what is it that's top of mind for them this week? And just yeah. having those, which is not about necessarily deep and meaningfuls, but you'll notice because, you know, what, what you're saying about depression or anxiety and lots of these um, mental health concerns that, again, some managers will kind of back off from because they just don't feel well enough equipped to, to deal with that. But actually, I always say to people, if you just notice a difference in someone, so you don't you don't need to know the ins and outs of all the different mental health conditions and everything else. If you know people well enough and you have a really good relationship with them on on a just a you know friendly, I've got your back type way. If that person suddenly changes in their behavior, you notice that they're a bit more withdrawn or they're a bit more irritable or um you know they're they're just forgetting things more or whatever it might be that's your cue to say oh or to think maybe something else is going on and maybe I need to um check in and have that that one-to-one with them or if I don't have the skills make sure I contact the person who can have the one-to-one with them so I'm instigating it rather than wait for them to come to me yeah but that all comes down to those relationships isn't it 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 all comes down to relationships Mm. um I mean I, I really like do you know Magnus Wood? Kind of yes, thing. brilliant yeah, guy. You, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah right? he's been he's been on this podcast. Yeah, I thought he yeah. had right. Yeah, um, you know, I really like the way that he he um, kind of parallels all of the good stuff that organisations are doing with the well-being, by and kind of instilling this um, pause of just kindness. I mean, because there are people who don't want to talk, right? And you have to respect that if you if you break that boundary and and push it 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 can um support them being even uh, absent or faking it even more so but what what you can do is if, if you are aware that that person is going through a difficult time the small kindnesses that you you know give that person whether it's just listening when they speak or whether it's sharing a lunch with them or whether it's you know you're hanging out and peace baby or compliments sincere compliments mm. that that can support that person feeling that they're in a relationship that they have someone who actually is poking their nose in a in a loving way into their world without encroaching on them and that is sometimes a ladder which they can kind of climb up when they really need it if mm. you know when it when it really gets bad or whatever they know that okay this person I can trust because the way that we treat each other, because we're respectful and we listen, and there's that quality of kindness, you know, in a in a in a very task focused, you know, say masculine world where it, you know, where you're, I don't know because there are there are so many places I haven't worked, but where where you just got to get the job done. Maybe you're working with Thames Water and you're an engineer and it's you know it's freezing cold and it's just banter all day right even in that environment you know you probably won't talk about anything to do with with mental health but your colleague might come and sit with you when you're having your sandwiches and just have a joke and that's enough to kind of just okay I'm human I'm connected to somebody and it's that connection that you don't know when someone is in trouble who they'll turn to you probably had it where where someone's turned to you and you've you've not realized that you've been that influence in their or, mm. or trusting impact in their life. And they turn to you at a time of need and they ask for your help. And you didn't realize that you had that impact on them. But and 
you know, I've I've often seen this happen, reflecting in, in my own my own relationships. You know, when did I form a relationship with that person? And it can mm. be something intangible, very simple, but just that respect and openness, kindness, all those lovely qualities that Magnus mm. so yeah. so brilliantly kind of talks about in the in the kindness philosophy. And I think that's, you know, working in uh, such a remote world now where so much of it is done over Teams or Zoom, it's about how you maintain that connection. And I always urge people to um, avoid just having meetings that are, you know, their, their idea of connection might be through, well, we have our team meeting, where we have our one-to-ones and they're over Zoom or Teams. Mm. It's actually, that's quite formal. So yeah. what about the informal communication where you just literally drop someone a message on their phone a whatsapp or a text or um you know just say how you doing today or um you know you rather than having a zoom meeting with someone you say let's switch it to a voice call and wherever we both live let's just go out and have a walk and as you're walking you're talking about what you're seeing or just what's going on you know nothing about work for a bit because that's when people say they can't connect because we're not together in a physical office I think actually there are so many missed opportunities in terms of those simple ways of just having a face-to-face chat, but doing it, perhaps not face-to-face, just doing it on the phone um, yeah. or just doing it on a, a um, WhatsApp or whatever. But that's that almost that informal communication and making a note for managers. You know, someone's got an appointment coming up, they're a bit worried about something personal. Just making a note in your diary. I must just check in and just see yeah. how that person got on. Or if someone's got a big sporting fixture, or I don't know what it is, but mm. just the little things that show you care. The yeah. connection is not is not hard if you're looking for opportunities to try and improve it. And I think that's the key: looking for opportunities. Yeah, it's about intention. Yeah. So if you're aware that you value that connection and you have an intention, then you'll seek the opportunities, whatever, however little they are. Yeah. And it and it could be just listening or it could be the small things that you've that you've just mentioned. So I th- yeah, I agree. Good point. Are there other things that you think undermine or get in the way of people focusing on those relationships? Because you know, everyone knows, or most people would agree, if we were to have this conversation with them now and say, you know, what do you think? Do you think relationships are important? They say, yeah, 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 of course they are. But then actually going and doing something about it and that sense of looking for opportunities to connect, looking for opportunities to build that, those um, relationships, they don't prioritise that. They tend to prioritise other stuff. Do you have a sense of what, what that's about, why people will veer away from the, the relationship side? Is it because they don't see it's important? They don't have time? Um, I think it's about um it's a bit of a runaway river where i think some people are are afraid to to dip their toe in the water and so they will intentionally not be emotional and not make it about relationship and they will be very work specific mm. and even though and, and 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 traditionally we'll see this as a strength in a leader wow he's up he's up at 4 a.m doing all this and when we're in meetings we have so many actions and how does he keep that all that in his head and he looks perfect and he doesn't seem to miss a beat and he's athletic and 
almost like the absence of the emotional, the absence of the vulnerability is seen as a strength. Wow, he can take all that and still be, you know, the, <laughs> and my experience of um, where there's an absence of that intentional relationship building and that mm -hmm. intentional kindness is fear. I mm. think, it, but but it's portrayed as a strength. Yes. As in, I'm strong enough so that I don't need to share my world with you. And mm. because I'm not sharing my world with you, I'm not giving you permission to share your world with me. And in mm -hmm. doing that, I'm encouraging you to be a better person like me. I'm encouraging you to be absent of the need for that emotional world, right? You can save that for your family, but don't bring that aspect of your whole self into work please because that's the luxury and you're weak right i think that's the that's the bottom line of it all and you know i really applaud leaders who aren't comfortable sharing all their personal emotional stuff but still make space for it mm. and still listen and still are so are self-aware enough that they go i may not do this but I know it's important and in my heart I'm doing this even though I'm not talking about it mm. and you know it it's something when I was studying years ago I had this lecturer who was she was a Christian lecturer right and this was this was, this was studying counseling and um she was talking about empathy and love right and uh she said to me you know even if you don't say anything to someone, if you hold in your heart this goodwill and this love, acceptance, you know, one of these good things towards that person, it will be felt. And I thought, will it really, will it really? And I kind of did an experiment in my own life where I would kind of go into lifts or I would, and I would actively open up my, I mean, then in, in my train my heart chakra right mm -hmm. um to, to kind of accept their person accept that person and to kind of see them as a brother or a sister mm. and i didn't do any 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 stats on it but there was a noticeable difference um you know whether it's micro differences in my face or whether it's an energy thing or whether it's a spiritual thing i'm not going to try and take you down that rabbit hole but it makes a difference people's reaction to me my my it it makes a difference so you know having the positive intention to to allow relationship and to be human to be vulnerable to, and to be intentionally kind these all have a massive difference and belong in the boardroom and and that and we absolutely know that um where your your mind is at in terms of what your intention is and what you're feeling right now affects everything that you communicate so when people think about communication it's just the words that come out of your mouth that's such a small part of it it is entirely how you hold your body and um just you know whether you're slightly frowning or slightly smiling and if you feel that you're neutral there'll be a slight difference and it is those micro differences and that people will read and that's you know people are very good at not even consciously of just picking mm. up on someone what's going on for someone else are they accepting of me or are they yeah, yeah. anxious are they nervous of me 
are they do they think they dominate me it's like actually what's going on here it's that kind of that gut feeling which is essentially our body picking up on all those subtle cues to say is this a friend or is this an enemy and that's a great great example and I think it's sometimes people will try and overcomplicate the whole thing I know um it's almost that sense of I've got to be I'm a leader I've got to do something in an impressive way I can't just go along and just be me that sense of just being me and just listening isn't good enough I'm supposed to do this whizzy magical stuff and it reminds me of a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with someone um who's about to take over uh leading a, a a new uh company and um so he's looking at how to build relationships or how to get to know his team mm-hmm. and he was asking me about it so right my so my thoughts are I need to go in and I need to use some um, psychometrics and I need to do this 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 and this and I was like whoa, whoa, whoa. he's like because it'll give me the data to uh work out what everyone's strengths are what the weaknesses are help them get to know each other we're a whole new team mm-hmm. it's gonna be really really powerful and I was like what about just going in and just saying hi I'm so and so and I'm really excited about being here. Tell me what you know. Tell me what you think your strengths are. Tell me what it is that you're really excited about being able to do more of. Tell me what you want to be able to develop a little bit more. What's what's I don't, I'm new in. So tell me what's working really well here. And it goes back to those original questions. What do we need to do differently? And just yeah. sit around a table and have a conversation and listen. Yeah. And it goes full circle. But I think that whole, you know, is that almost that I've got to go and improve myself. I've got to go in and and it's like don't overcomplicate it yeah yeah i i i couldn't agree more lisa and that's a that that's a really really good example as you know how how we get stuck in a rut that we think we should be on versus what instinctively oh yeah and i bet when you said that his reaction was oh yeah I, yes i bet he realized that yeah why am i doing that it's almost like you know people who encourage us to to kind of stay in relationship and who really believe in that as, uh, can be powerful yeah I am um, yeah well I was quite pleased I, I spoke to someone a couple of weeks well last week uh, he said oh so-and-so said he's when, when he goes in he's just going to listen to his team <laughs> I was just like yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so um I want to just take it back um because I was aware of time to the sure. uh, chamber of commerce um, the steering group. I know that um, the Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce has, uh, well, was the only chamber in the UK to have a mental health charter. I don't know if that's still the case. Do any more have a charter that you know of? I, I haven't seen any more. Um, okay. But I'm, I must admit, I, I don't spend my time trawling <laughs> websites. I haven't heard of any more. I would no. like to think that there are a few more out there, but I haven't heard of any more. Okay. Um, and there was a brilliant resource produced. Um, I think it was just the beginning of last year or the end of the year before, um, a mental well-being case study report, which is building a positive mental well-being culture. And there was a series of case studies based on work that organisation and businesses have done to improve the mental well-being of their employees. And I really like that resource because it was um, had some pretty big names in, it in terms of companies that contributed. And also it had quite a wide scope in terms of when we're thinking about mental well-being. So again, it's not around anxiety and depression. It's all all to do with um, 
the wider agenda around well-being and mental health. So why was that publication so close to your heart? Because you spent a huge amount of effort on that. What I really liked about it was that it was organisations um, kind of evaluating, OK, what are we really doing? What, what has brought about change in our organisation? And, you know, I think it goes goes back to earlier on in our in, in our conversation that that ability to be able to ask the difficult questions you know what has worked what hasn't worked and coming up with with that resource meant that the, the various organizations had to look at what they had done and how they had got there and then to be able to sh share that um, I think is really valuable for other organizations because other organizations you know they're all at different stages some organizations have have the you know happiness of their employees under hr some have it under um health and safety um you know normally there's somebody in the organization who is looking after you know well-being and they're scratching their heads on you know going okay what can we do differently because We've tried this, we've tried this. And what's really valuable about the chamber is when the organizations come together and they share the best practice, but they also share what hasn't worked. What you know, and I'm I don't think we're there yet. This was a very, you know, this was this was going going back a, a little bit of time. You know, I I'm I'm waiting for the time when we get to a position where 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 people are, are even more honest and saying, well, this has really hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. At the moment, people like that publication was kind of more focused on this is what has worked for us. Although there and were some, I, what I liked about the case studies and that, um, where people were quite honest about actually what got in the way, what were the things that yeah. were a bit trickier and what and what next. So there was a yeah. sense of a bit of learning, which I think was a real kind of gold yes. nuggets in there. Yeah, no, you're right. And I was I was delighted when, you know, as the case studies came in and, and we started putting them together that the the people were were willing to be vulnerable as an organization mm -hmm. to say, you know, these these are the growing pains that we've had, these are the obstacles that we that, that we faced. This hasn't worked. So yeah, I think it's about sharing. Mm. I think I think what's valuable about that resource is to be able to share. An example, because then the individual HSE or HR manager or director or MD can can um, you know think okay what what's parallel in our organisation how how would that look for us what would it, that look like if we did that who would we involve in that and how would we communicate that what do I need to do as a leader to come across more that way to my people mm. and that ability to reflect at the moment there's loads of gurus and loads of stuff being chucked on social media about how to do it what's nice about some some actual case studies is um it involves a leader of some description sitting down and reading and they're taking it at their pace they're not having to defend they're there just thinking about it and often mm. that non-egoic you know defenses off reading yeah. trying to understand what to do a bit more that humility allows mm. for ideas 
and then action can take place and conversations can take place. So I see it as a kind of catalyst for people who do want to change, who do want to actually make a difference to, to start that process. Brilliant description of actually how people are can benefit from just doing things in their own time, <laughs> actually, yeah. rather than I've got to be 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning attending this session and I've got to come up with all my answers. Actually, when you've got the right mindset to go to have the intention, I want to do something different. I don't quite know what. And your own mind is open and you relax mm -hmm. and it's at the right time for you. Hearing other, what other people are doing and what's worked and what hasn't just starts those yeah. cogs whirring doesn't it in terms of yeah. actually yeah I could just do those little things yeah. so yeah. as we think about the challenges that businesses are facing now and they're going to be sort of um grappling with throughout 2023 around employee experience whether that's about leadership culture mental well-being performance and so on yeah. what are some of the must-dos that you think leaders should be really engaging with so taking away from um listening to this podcast and doing differently so again it comes comes down to some kind of simple sound bites but behind them is an awful lot how well do i know my people where are my black spots is the black spot caused because that person isn't comfortable being the type of leader that we need and you know decision making on okay so what can what can i do to support that person to be able to um make their area their team not a black spot because whether it's data you know whether you're looking at um equality diversity and inclusion and 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 you're looking at data you know demographics about your people which is really really important um I would say just as important is the understanding of a mood barometer. You know, how do your people feel on a Sunday night? That, you know, if I was a leader, that would be the question that I would ask my middle managers. My, you know, how are your people feeling on a Sunday night? Now, no matter what they're going through in life, you know, if they've, if they've just had a bereavement, well, they're feeling absolutely devastated, but they know that their manager is going to support them through that and is going to feel for them and give them whatever they need to get through that. And then afterwards, um, you know, the kind of rallying round and the, and, the, and the heartfelt, sincere, I'm really glad to see you back. I'm so sorry. I mean, you can't, that is, that is what it is all about, right? So I would, I would you know, know what your people are, and if and and the people that are dreading it on a Sunday night, do something about it. Mm. Do something about it. And what is it that you're going to do? And yes, it will involve questions around what your managers can handle. I'm not, and and I and you know, I really mean that. You know, you can't just replace all management and get in the big empathy gurus. You you can't you can't you know it it's about good training and good lead by examples opening the heart shack with kindness respect listening skills that anybody can do and if you've got the manager who really is just no good at that and can't do any of it and it and it, 
then they're going to be a bully anyway and they belong out, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to have these basic qualities to be able to lead a team. You just have to have them. And also, um, as something we're not going to touch on today because we're um, running out of time, but the whole use of apps and so on. So if you've got managers, you know, if you're a company who wants to know what employees are feeling, um, either about how they're feeling in that moment um, or how they're feeling about their manager um, and the support they get, there are so many apps around. I've had a conversation with Your Flock or Dan from Your Flock on this podcast in an earlier episode um there are things like govox there are so many different apps around where, that people can you know organizations can get really really good quality data which immediately pinpoints where they need to do something different whether that's in terms of supporting an employee or actually supporting a manager to better support their employees so it's kind of looking across the organization at um you know at the employee level and at the manager level, which I think is really, really powerful. So finally, I'm going to ask you a question, a blind question that um, David McLeod, who was on my podcast ages ago, uh, he's got an OBE for services to business and employee engagement. So he was um, brilliant to, to talk with. Um, he provided me with a question, which I thought was very apt to ask you, David. So mm. Why, when developing strategies, do we continue to focus so heavily on the quantitative issues when experience virtually always suggests it's the people issues that determine the level of success? Because um, leaders are afraid to enter that space themselves. Then, then they're not confident. They don't know what to do. It's the runaway river thing that I said earlier. Um, without the confidence to enter that space, to be able to really listen and, and not just, you know, I had, I had someone come up to me the other day, ask me how I was. And I looked in their eyes and I could see the fear in their eyes. Don't say too much, right? <laughs> don't, don't go there if, if you can't follow through. And if, if you can't follow through, if, if you're afraid of that space, for goodness sake, get people in who aren't afraid of it and support them from behind. Give them the permission to do it. Because without that, without the, you know, the real qualitative, feely, touchy people, insight, reacting to, to what people feel, supporting them through stuff, you're going nowhere. You're just waiting for that dreadful day when 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 there's the big exit, you know, people leave and then you've got Turner, you've got huge absenteeism and, mm. you know, churn of style. And I'd also say on that, and I think that's what your answer just summarised so well, the kind of essence of the message coming out of this um, conversation. I'd also just urge companies to really think about looking after their managers. And, you know, we talked today quite a lot about having the courage to, ask and listen and and so on and managers got a lot of responsibility there but actually it reminds me of a conversation I had with Jim Littrot and some work I did with his leadership team at the end of last year which is when Jim said my leadership team are awesome and actually the managers are really doing a great job of looking after their teams but no one's looking after the managers <laughs> no one's looking after that level yeah. so actually yeah. we need to do something and and that's where we started that work around 
okay, let's make sure that they're looking after themselves and they know how to look after each other as a at leadership level. Yeah. So, you know, it's about putting your own oxygen mask on first. So, you know, I, I don't want people to leave this webinar or this webinar, this podcast think, thinking that um they've, you know, managers have got everything on their shoulders to go and do differently. No, Actually, right, we must remember right. to look after those managers and leaders right at the top have got responsibility of how how do we equip them to look after themselves and look after each other as colleagues yeah. before we expect them to go and look after the people that they're, yeah. they're caring for? So true. Yeah, couldn't agree more, Lisa. So if um, more companies want to sign up to the Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce, um, particularly the Mental Health Charter, um, what's, what's the best thing for people to do? Uh, get in contact with me, drop me an email. Um, should I give my email address here? Will it be with the podcast? We'll put it in the show notes. Fine. Yeah, just getting get in contact with me. Intention. If you have an intention to be involved in any way with anything to support um, your people with mental well-being, mental health, workplace culture, please get in touch because I would love to hear from you. Fab. David, thank you so very much for today. Uh, it has been brilliant. I'm so I'm so pleased that we've managed to cram recording this in um, <laughs> literally three days before it's going live because I really wanted to have the conversation with you as the first one to kickstart this new series. So I'm really grateful for your time, for sharing your wisdom. Um, as I said right at the start, you are a very humble guy and you're like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to be able to add. Um, I think what you have said today is, is actually so practical in terms of, so many opportunities for people to think actually I could just do that differently or maybe I should just give that a little bit more thought um I think there's there have been so many golden nuggets in this conversation so thank you very very much it's been my absolute pleasure Lisa and uh, uh thank you so much for the opportunity thank you for joining me on the beyond the water cooler podcast I hope it's got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to company culture that enables people to really engage and thrive. And now it's your turn to help me, please. Rating my podcast and leaving a review means that my guests' messages spread further. And when I know what you've enjoyed, found helpful, what you'd like to hear discussed more of in the future and ideas for great guests, I can make sure I deliver. Let's continue the conversation about the points raised in this podcast, or perhaps you have other questions about employee experience and performance. You can email me at It's Time for Change, connect with me on LinkedIn, or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are all in the show notes. So until next time, bye for now.